0: listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. We we have Bibles on all the tables, so if you want to turn and read it with your very own eyes on your very own Bible, uh, you can do that. It'll also be up here on the screen. Um, Acts, chapter 1, verse 1 is the introduction of this book. Uh, Do you remember who the author is? Luke, yeah, we, we talked about that last week. So Luke is writing this book, and he says, verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, which means uh, lover of God, which could be an actual person's name. That's that's how they translated it as a capital T. Or it could just be to those that love God. But in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he suffered, he presented himself to them, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Um, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Everybody say, kingdom of God. That's what we're going to talk about today as as we get into this lesson. But before we do so, let's just pray. God, we do thank you for, for the blessings, the things you've poured out upon us. God, we thank you for the Bible and and that we get to learn about you, learn about the things you've done in this earth through your scripture. So, God, we thank you for the book of Acts. God, open it up to us in in new ways this morning. God, we love you. We do praise you. And everybody screamed, Amen. amen. Um, back in the day, a couple years ago, uh, I was in, uh, seminary, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. Some of the classes I took were kind of above my head, like very theological, very academic classes. I remember having to, uh, study extra hard and do all the assignments just to get a B, uh, or an A in the class. And one of the classes that was particularly hard was this New Testament background class. And it was particularly hard because the teacher was just this weird dude. Um, maybe you've had weird dudes as teachers before in your life but he was a really nice guy and funny like in his own weird sense of humor funny uh, he was really young like barely maybe he was like 30 years old so just a little older than us as students and he was always getting confused as one of the students like in the in the, in the halls and the student halls and stuff like that but anyways um, he was he was this kind of teacher that would get really mad if you didn't get it like do you understand what I'm talking about and we kind of be like well do you or don't you and you get mad at us and he was the kind of teacher Teacher, they would just call on people. Anybody have a teacher like that? It would just call on you, like, oh, uh, how about you? Yeah, Jim. What, what did you get from the reading last night? And then poor Jim is like, oh, uh, uh, uh. and if you if he said like, I don't know that I, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't get to the reading, that he would just freak out. Like, what what do you think this is? Elementary school, and he'd just freak out. Um, he was nice, but his sense of humor and then his seriousness all of a sudden would really just kind of mess with you. And and so we wanted to mess with him he's the kind of teacher, I just tell this story to tell you what kind of teacher he was, like a wild card as a teacher, but we put together this bingo, like somebody put together this bingo, and so like, you know how bingo works, you get to, you know, X if the number's called, but instead of a number, each little like box was a saying, a phrase that the teacher always said. And he would, he'd say like things like, "Oh, the notion of blah, blah, blah. So like one of the boxes said notion. And one of the boxes, he was always talking about the kingdom of God or the eschatological reality was like one of his big terms that he was always saying. So this bingo, like 25, five by five had all these little phrases of things that he said. And like during the class, as he said them, we were crossing them off. And, uh, and it got, it got towards the, end of the class and he finally just like okay that's it i know you're playing bingo i'm not gonna let any of you get bingo i realize exactly what's happening in here i'll just knock it off and we're all just like oh gosh put the bingo away (laughs) And, uh, so this is the kind of teacher, uh, he was, and I remember he kept talking about in this new Testament survey course, the, the, this kingdom of God, he used the word king uh, the phrase, excuse me, kingdom of God again and again and again. And of course I had read it in the new Testament. I knew that it was, oh yeah, it's like when God rules, it's God's kingdom. But the way he used it was just so interesting and he would use it in different ways. And and I just didn't get where he was going. I had a question about what he was referring to when he said the kingdom of God and um like, what do you mean when you, when you say the kingdom of God, but I wasn't about to dare raise my hand and ask him what the kingdom of God was, because I imagine in my head that he would just scream at me and say, where have you been this entire semester we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Um, but I was confused and I didn't know really, like, I was like, could you just give us a definition of what you mean when you say the kingdom of God? So I remember after class asking some of my friends, Hey, you know, do you guys have a definition? He keeps using this phrase kingdom of God. Do you have a definition, um, like a succinct definition? And they were all like, yeah, I don't, we don't know. Like we we're kind of wondering the same thing. Like he's using the kingdom of God in kind of a different way than we've heard before. And so we decided one of us was going to ask the question <laughs> next class, raise their hand. And so we kind of like, dude, I'm not doing it. I, no way I'm doing it. Um, we kind of decided that it was going to be me <laughs> that was going to raise my, hand in this next class and ask uh the teacher what the kingdom of god was like the next time he referred to it i'd raise my hand and say could you give us a definition of the kingdom of god and then i just imagined like the full weight of fury being released on me but in the end of the day we would at least know what he was referring to when he said the kingdom of god and so the next class came i rose my hand um he said like we were talking about something else and he's like does anybody have any questions and i raised my hand to ask about the kingdom of god and I uh, and I think I'll stop the story there because uh, we'll get to that. We'll come back to the story um, at, at the end of Sunday school. But I kind of want this whole lesson, this lecture today, is about kind of what the kingdom of God is because it's so important in the book of Acts. And so we'll come back. Oh, I'll give you the answer he gave to us. And it actually brought me a lot of encouragement the answer that he said this is what the kingdom of God is. So are you okay with being left on a cliffhanger for now? I know you're not but we'll get we we'll, we will get back to it. So um uh, this is the Mill Sunday School. Welcome. If you're new, uh, you, if you want, you can fill out. There's first timer cards on all the tables. If you fill it out and bring it to the nice people as you leave in the back, they'll give you a CD. Uh, it's like a welcome CD. And, and so it's got some of our the music that we recorded, worship music from a Friday night. And Friday night, the Mill, if you haven't been to that yet, you should go to that. It's our main meeting. It's more of a service. We do worship. It's more of a sermon. Whereas this that you've come to, the Mill Sunday School, is really more of a teaching and, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, do PowerPoints and we'll, we'll do a discussion here in a little while. And so that's what the mill Sunday school is. Um, yeah. So if you're new, yeah, I think that's all the announcements I have. We did do, did anybody, was anybody here on time today and, and put your name in this little hat thing? Um, we will do an on time drawing at the end of mill Sunday school for, uh, I'll, 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 give away three of my books. And so uh, it's the College Adventure Handbook. So if you were here and you were early and you were awake enough to realize that there was an on-time drawing with a hat um, and you filled it out, then we'll do that. But thank you for being here early uh, or on time today. I realize that losing an hour of sleep is not the easiest thing in the world. So thank you for being here. Give yourself a big hand for getting out of bed. It's a a big deal. (laughs) So let let's jump right into today's lesson uh on your notes uh on this on the skillet is there's only a few points today uh, it says review and uh <laughs> And I quickly want to review what we talked about last time. This will just take a few uh, minutes, but we talked about six big things last week. As as we said, you know, we open up the book of Acts, or we open up our Bible, and we begin to read it. It's important that we don't just decide what we believe and then look into the text for, like, proofs of what we believe, but rather, the Bible is our, it's our scripture. It's what we, um, you know, it's, we go to it first, and then, and then realize, oh, we believe believe this about God we you know God said this and so therefore we believe it it's not just like we have these ideas or what people tell us and then we just believe that no it's like no our our lives our faith is determined by scripture and and the the rules of interpreting scripture are are so that we need to do exegesis and hermeneutics and, and so those terms uh, like what we t- last week we talked about the tools that we use to do exegesis and hermeneutics well I'll talk about those two terms in a second but we talked about the tools being commentaries, study Bibles, Greek resources, since the New Testament was originally written in Greek, Hebrew resources, those being the tools that, that you can use, that I can use, that even scholars can use to write the commentaries um, so that we have background information of what the Bible is is telling us and we're not just guessing at things that it could mean. Um, We talked about the difference between inductive and deductive, especially when studying scripture. We talked about how inductive is looking at the actual text itself and finding patterns and making hypotheses and theories about what the text is telling us, this big picture of scripture whereas deductive is like the idea that you have this idea in your head of what you think God is like, and then you go into scripture to try to find that idea and try to prove the idea, we would say that's not the way you should do it. You should do it by studying the text inductively first and then um, getting big ideas from the text. And so that does involve a lot of work. It involves a lot of reading. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, if you were here last week, you should be right on. If you weren't here, we always podcast our talks. I think last last week's talk is already up. So that's inductive versus deductive. The next big point hermeneutics and exegesis. These are the, the, the big terms. Hermeneutics is when we try to interpret what it means. That's hermeneutics, exegesis, what, this, what the passage is actually saying. It's important that we, we go into the text knowing that it's not written to us, but for us. And so it's, it's written in an ancient culture. It's written to an ancient culture. We do have to interpret it for us for today. Um, la- the last week's talk, we talked about some of the background of the book of Acts, Talked about how the author is probably Luke. Uh, We gave some reasons why we think it's Luke, the same author of the book of Luke. Uh, We talked about how the audience is not us. It's an ancient culture. Therefore, we need to interpret it. Uh, We talked about the big picture of Acts, that it's the birth of the church, salvation messages throughout, that it's the missionary journeys of a dude named Peter, and then the conversion of a dude named Paul, and then his missionary journeys throughout the entire rest of the book of Acts. That's a big picture. Then we talked about this idea of take it and eat it, which is a quotation of Ezekiel, where God tells Ezekiel to take a scroll and eat it, consume it, and then speak the word of God and how we, we, we decided that, you know, it's good to know scripture with our head and to study it with our mind. But if we're not transforming our lives to it and really believing what it says and not just saying we believe what it says, then we're not doing, we're not being transformed. We're missing the big point. <sighs> that was last week's talk in less than two minutes. Pretty cool. So uh, let's slow down for a second and talk about the Ascension. So this is new information. This is what we're talking about this week. The Ascension. Do you know what the Ascension is? Yeah, I kind of hear whisperings. It's when Jesus ascended into heaven. And here's a painting of that. His disciples uh, staring at him. He's floating up, and there's clouds. And those are the kind of things that we see, uh, at least we, the words that we see describing maybe this painting in the book of Acts. And so we're going to continue reading book of, the book of Acts, chapter one. If you want to look in your own text, you can. We just read Acts chapter one, one through three. And so this is verse four, the the next verse after the verse that we just read, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And it says this, it says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, that the him being Jesus, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift from uh, the the gift. My father promised, which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse seven says, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse nine says, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And so this is is the ascension. He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so here's another painting of Jesus ascending into heaven, and and the details being that his disciples are, are around. We learn in the next couple of verses that they're actually at the Mount of Olives, and they're, they're, they're listening to Jesus. He's teaching them about the kingdom and the kingdom uh, of Israel coming. He's like, no, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. Um, and, and then he says, wait in Jerusalem for the gift that I'm about to give you. And we, of course, know from reading the book of Acts that that gift is going to be the Holy Spirit. And we'll, talk about that a bunch uh, next week in in the Mill Sunday School. We'll talk about Acts chapter 2, this very interesting passage of the tongues of fire falling on the disciples, and then they speak in tongues, and other people from different languages hear them speaking in their own language. A very interesting, a very miraculous, a very weird, maybe, passage about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, wait uh, for a gift that I will give you, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then he ascends into heaven and um, and so i have a statement here that ascension is an interpretation as a culmination of the mystery of the incarnation and that it is marked by the complexion of jesus physical appearance among his apostles but his consummation in the union of god as he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the father and so some people think that um because remember that that phrase that the angels say, the two men at least dressed in white, they say, oh, you know, why are you staring off into heaven?' Jesus will come back in the same way that he went. And so many people interpret that as an eschatological idea that Jesus, when he returns for the second time, will return maybe even actually to the Mount of Olives, but he'll return from the sky down to earth. Not sure exactly if that's how it has to be interpreted, but that's many people's interpretations of how Jesus will come back. But I think there's something we need to understand about um the ascension and and the resurrection these are terms that we often throw around a lot and i wanted to break it down and, and and say that um and maybe just retell the the basic story of of jesus coming and then going so that we could get a bigger idea of this of this picture because we all know the christmas story right that jesus is born uh in bethlehem he's placed into a manger he is born by natural means of of a mother but somewhat unnatural or spiritual because we find out that mary was claiming to be a virgin that mary said that the holy spirit uh came to her and said she is pregnant and so like the mystery of how exactly that works because i mean you all took sixth sixth grade health class right and when a mommy and daddy really love each other the <laughs> You know, So I don't know exactly how that mystery works of how Mary was uh, impregnated uh, by the Holy Spirit or what exactly conceived. Uh, I don't know how that really worked, the mystery of that, but we know that Jesus came into the world God, we, and we as Christians would say he was 100% God and 100% man. And that mystery is called the hypostatic union, a, a lesson for a whole nother day. But, but we believe that Jesus, God incarnate, came into this world through natural means from a woman, from her womb. Uh, Jesus was born. He was a physical human being just like us, except also fully God. And that mystery is another lesson for another time. But then Jesus died on the cross and we believe he truly died. Uh, he was totally dead. And then three days later, what happened? He resurrected that the Easter story, the story of resurrection. And we would argue and say that Jesus was not just resuscitated. That's something different. Um, Uh, resuscitation is like, you know, you hear about these stories when like a kid is ice fishing or something. He falls through the ice and he's under the ice in the water for like 15 minutes or something like that. And they pull him out and and they bring him back to life. And that kid would then be resuscitated, brought back to life. As Christians, we would argue that that's not what happened with Jesus. We would say, yes, the body was gone. Jesus' body was gone. But then Jesus was was not just physical, somewhat physical, but somewhat trans-physical or hyper or above-physical, that he could walk through walls and just appear and then disappear, but he when he was there, like his disciples touched him and were able to like stick their finger in his wounds, and so he was he was physical and he ate with them, and so is that that's physical. You have to be physical to eat, but then he was transphysical or, or whatever word you want to use because he was able to just disappear, um, and so that's that's this time period in between Jesus' resurrection and the forty days he was teaching his uh, disciples and apostles before he ascended. And then the ascension, the story we just read, is where Jesus ascends into heaven and a cloud covers him. And the disciples aren't able to see him because of a cloud. And then he's said to to be at the right hand of the Father. And this idea of the ascension is, is really important to us as Christians, that Jesus did ascend. It's in various creeds. Um, we, we've talked before, as we've talked about church history, where the Nicene Creed comes from, this very important early church history creed, where Christians first got together in a universal way and, and, and had representatives from the known world at the time and got together and made a creed of what they believed in. And, and one of the lines in that creed says about Jesus, he said, Suffered. On the third day, he rose again, and then here it is ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. So, that, that phrase, ascended to, to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that's in one of our creeds, another creed. This creed actually probably predating, definitely predating the Nicene Creed, because the Nicene Creed kind of steals some of its lines. Uh, the Apostles' Creed said that Jesus was crucified, dead, uh, was buried. The third day he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. So once again, this idea that Jesus did ascend, I mean, it's clear in Scripture, and it's not just, you know, a small point of Scripture, but it's one of those points that's, this is a pretty big deal that, about our God, how he came to this earth through uh, the natural means of a woman. He died, but then was resurrected with a glorified body and then spent some time talking to his disciples, proving that it was him, that he was still alive. And then he ascended into heaven. And there's this idea that a cloud engulfed him. And I think as as if you were reading as an Old Testament, maybe Jewish person at the time of Jesus, at the time of this ancient document, the book of Acts was being written, when you heard the term cloud you would probably think of the cloud that engulfed the temple when the the Lord's presence was there this this analogy this physical representation of God being present that somehow a cloud would fill the temple you could read in Ezekiel or Kings or 2nd Chronicles these these passages where it said, and the Lord's presence was there and it filled the temple. And I imagine that's what you would think of when, when, if Jesus ascends and the clouds engulf him so that you can't see him, you just assume, oh, that's the presence of God. That's how you would read it if you were, uh, an, at the time of Jesus, a Jewish person reading that text. And I remember back in the day, my day, my high school days, here's a picture, some look at what we were wearing. I don't know why we were wearing those clothes. Um, but that, that big white line is pointing to me. This is like a high school, uh, our Christian high school church youth group. We went to like this, like this, uh, I don't even know what it was like, a like a theme park, but I don't know what the theme was. It was really weird. Uh, I think there's like a giant nutcracker behind us. I was like, what, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. Uh, But we went on this. This is my youth group. I show this picture to say, um, get back to my point. My youth pastor asked me a question one time, and my youth pastor is on the far right. uh, Excuse me, far left, upper side. He was a really cool dude, and he invited me and a few other guys to this Bible study. I remember one of the Bible studies we had was this question he asked us: like, what do you think would be better if Jesus? uh was still around today like as in uh like physically or his resurrected like if jesus was still here like doing miracles and appearing to people and doing cool stuff or do you think it would be better if if we had the holy spirit and i was like man that's a weird question that's is that a trick question i don't know and so my answer was i think jesus would be the answer because jesus is always the answer to every question in church um and so I was like, well, Jesus would be here. That'd be better. And, and I don't know if my youth pastor was, you know, really trying to get to, be, to the theology of this question, but he did make a point that, that I thought was important because Jesus, on the on the night he uh, was having dinner, his last supper with his disciples, taught about how he was going to leave and how that was going to actually be a good thing because he was then going to send his Holy Spirit. In fact, if you have the notes for today, on the back of the the notes there's a quote that says, uh, that Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And that word advocate in the Greek is in this passage where he is talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. And so here's this passage. So Jesus is at the Last Supper. John in his gospel records Jesus saying this. So John 16 verse seven says, but verily, uh, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong, about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin, because people do not believe me about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can know longer, where, where you can see me no longer. And so it's this idea that Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And right before he does so, we just read it in the book of Acts. It says, I'm going to ascend, but wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And so, going back to this idea, this maybe trick question that my youth pastor asked me when I was in high school, you know, what would be better? Jesus is still here appearing to people and doing miracles, or the Holy Spirit? And, then, and I said, Jesus, and he said, nope, that's wrong. Um, and I was like, what, why? And he showed me some of these passages about the power of the Holy Spirit that, is, with, that dwells within us. And this is a, a topic that we'll talk about next week. Um, the Holy Spirit, how, how it's sent to us and how we can receive it and, and what the Holy Spirit does. This is next week's lecture, but it's, it's a good thing that Jesus ascended into heaven. And so continuing r- right along with that idea, I just want to ask the question, where is heaven? You know, we picture sometimes uh, pearly gates and uh, gates of gold and maybe St. Peter is there taking names or something. I don't know what we imagine or what you specifically imagine, but but this idea that, that sometimes we imagine heaven to be this very far-off place, uh, like another land, like another world. And and so when we imagine Jesus ascending into heaven, um, and that, that word there, heaven, in the Greek is just oranion, which could mean the sky. It could mean uh, heaven like the pearly gates or whatever. It could mean just, uh, you know, like where the clouds are, where the planets are. That's the sky too. And so when Jesus ascends into heaven, and then it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, we could picture, and I, I would imagine we'd be picturing it wrongly if we just imagine, oh, Jesus is now in another world, far, far away, in another galaxy, uh, in a fairy tale land. Jesus is—he's pieced out. He's—he's he's somewhere else. And to that, we'd say, you know, throughout the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we get this idea that heaven is very close to Earth. Heaven is—is is paralleled. With earth. And Jesus is not far away. He's, he's, he's above us but he's also with us. He's in our midst. Maybe a way to think about it, and I'll, I'll give a uh, an analogy of this later, but maybe he's in another dimension that we, we can't comprehend, but it's paralleled with us and where we are here on this earth. We should not just think that Jesus is pieced out to a, a galaxy far, far away. He's, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, whatever that kind of analogy means, but he's very much with us now, which brings us to this idea of the Kingdom of god and that's that 's where we started this morning and the Kingdom of God is I think extremely important for understanding the book of acts um, i, I don 't think it's any um, any uh, coincidence that the Book of Acts starts and ends with the kingdom of God, and so I have, I have a picture here of a book ends that in some ways the kingdom of God is the book ends of the entire uh, book of Acts, that the kingdom of God is talked about. Acts chapter 1, we read it this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is, is hanging out with his disciples. It says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's the very first passage of scripture in the book of Acts. And then if you flip to the very end of the book of Acts, you could look there uh, and see if I'm right. But Acts chapter 28, verse 30, the very last verse of the last chapter of Acts, it says that Paul, um, Paul was there for two whole years. It's talking about Paul getting to Rome. It says Paul was there for two years, uh, stayed there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to him, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so this kingdom of God deal, this kingdom of God idea that comes to us in the book of Acts is is not only the first thing and the last thing that's talked about, but throughout the book of Acts, the kingdom of God. So what in the world is it? We'll kind of get to that question in a minute but before uh, I ask that question, I just want to get your imagination going and so sometimes we do discussion in here that's, that's heady or you know list things or you know talk about this or discuss this or debate this but this question is just more for your imagination. Describe um, just in your own head or, or what you think the Bible says what the kingdom of God will look like specifically. Um, like, like I brought up, I, I have a meeting usually once a month where we talk about, it's like a sermon prep meeting. And in that meeting, we, I brought up this question and I think my wife said, Oh, the kingdom of God will, maybe the colors will be more vivid. And then uh, Jordan said, well, maybe they'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what true forgiveness really looks like. And so I think it's okay. This dis- this, this discussion question is okay to kind of get your imagination going a little bit. And and as we talk about, well, if God was really in charge, if God was really on the throne of this earth, what would be different. What would it look like? And you could say things like, uh, maybe we would gain an hour of sleep every night instead of losing it. Or maybe the coffee would taste better. Or you could get more theological with your answer. But I just want to maybe pull on the the strings of your imagination, if that makes sense. Okay? So turn to somebody around you or as a table and, and maybe just list some things. What does the kingdom look like? If any of you uh, out there would like to share with all of us, maybe something that you said or you thought was particularly interesting. I heard a lot of people laughing, so I wonder if there's, if there's anything funny you want to share, that would also be okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Noah up front, and get, there's two, Aaron and Joel, back here in the red shirt, have the mic, so get their attention if you have something to share. Is this on? It's not on. <laughs> is it on? This is, is this on? I can hear it. Okay. He good? Yeah. I don't think it matters what the kingdom of God looks like, really. It doesn't matter. Literally what it looks like. Gold roads or dirt roads, it really doesn't matter. Now, John had a good point. Conceptually, <laughs> it probably looks like prayer, probably looks like scripture, probably looks like worship. But what it literally looks like really doesn't, I don't think, I won't speak for John, really doesn't matter. So what it really, like, specifically looks like doesn't matter, but there'll be aspects of worship and scripture and Bible stuff. Cool. It's good. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, in the back, there's somebody. Anybody on the side? Here, since, since okay. uh, I'm you, lazy. You okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, I'm going to have to go with the C.S. Lewis point of view on uh, Heaven. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about Lewis? <laughs> well, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. Um, <laughs> which is actually more theological than you think it would be. <laughs> It's better. It's just better. The it's, kingdom of God is better. better. They, they keep going further and further into the new Narnia, and things get better. Colors are more vibrant. Uh, everything is just better. There's no corruption. There's no bad. Yeah. The kingdom of God will be better. Yes. Back here. Somebody had their hand raised. Okay. I think it's like a really huge hill like a, for skiing. And you can go down, and there's like a portal that, will like, when you ski down, you can portal yourself to like a different hill every single time. And there's like infinite amount of ski hills. And that would be my heaven. Great. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. Anybody else? Yeah, up in the front, and then and then he'll get the last comment. Yes. All right. The way I see it is this. You have the whole thing of the first man Adam sinning, leaving the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And then you have the fact in Revelations, that talks about the new Jerusalem. So my point of view is this. You have both of them that are going to be present in heaven or the kingdom of God. You're going to have the new Jerusalem, which John, I think, is describing a little bit with your golden streets and yeah. the rubies and gems and diamonds on the walls. It's going to be magnificent. But what's outside the Jerusalem? To me, I, I can just see this huge vast of land like the Garden of Eden with the rainforest-type texture where you're like walking through greenery that you just love to play in. You love the magnificent I mean, like mountains of Pikes Peak when yeah. you're hiking on the trails and you just think, like, awe. So you'll be in awe. And the, the, you mentioned the phrase, the new Jerusalem and Adam and Eve, maybe a restoration of how God originally uh, created things. You have something, Joel? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like the kingdom of heaven is not so much what it looks like, but what it actually is. Kingdoms are, are regimes of authority and, and order and things like that. And so it's not so much like the, I don't think the physical representation or the physical appearance of the kingdom, as much as it is the principles of the kingdom, yeah. where, which are co- almost completely polar opposite of what the principles of our world are. Uh, Where it's kind of like you serve yourself, you try to you try to get ahead, you try to get your own stuff going for you. Whereas in the kingdom of heaven, you're serving the people around you, and you're you're looking at people around you as better than yourself, and you're looking at what God's priorities are rather than yours. That's good. Yeah, these idea. I, I asked that question to kind of get our imaginations going about the kingdom and what the kingdom will look like. When it comes, and maybe maybe a a quantification question uh, also would be, how far away is the kingdom? And I mean by that, how far away is it in time? Uh, Like, is it years from now, or is it right now, or how far away is it in the universe? Like, here here's a picture of Michelangelo's God in the Sistine Chapel, Uh, but of course Adam is missing from from this this painting, and it's just like the universe that somehow God is far, far away in a galaxy, far away, um, just doing his own thing and maybe having his presence on this world. But we would say as Christians, well, he's, he's much closer than that. This is the actual, or at least a picture of the actual painting in the Sistine Chapel that that God, when he created Adam, was right there. And their their fingers are touching in this very famous this painting. Um, but God continues to be right with his creation, that, that God is near us, so, therefore, the kingdom is near us. And when we close today, I'll go back to that classroom where I wrote, rose my hand and asked what the kingdom of God was. But the answer may surprise you that, that it's a lot closer, both time wise and where we are wise physically. The place of the kingdom is much closer than, than maybe some of us are, are thinking about, or at least our natural tendency is to think about God being far, far away, and that's not the case. But I want to take a little rabbit trail right now. These are literal rabbit trails. Um, But a rabbit trail, if you know anything about rabbits, you know that a rabbit, like if a dog is chasing a rabbit, a rabbit will seem like it 's just going here and there and everywhere to get away from the dog, but the the rabbit is will eventually get in a like a circle, and the rabbit will get back on its own trail so that the dog can 't find it like it 'll get on this trail and run around and around and around its own tracks. And then, and then at some point, jump off of its own track, and the dumb dog will just keep going around and around in the circle. So it's it's a pretty brilliant uh, idea. And so whenever a teacher's like, "Here's a rabbit trail," the rabbit trail should go back to its main point. And so let's take a little rabbit trail, shall we? All right. It's called uh, the Flatlanders analogy, not to be confused with the Flanders. Uh, analogy but uh, some of you is anybody familiar with rob bell and his teaching uh everything is spiritual it's like a video s- series he gave this analogy of the flatlanders and he said oh this isn't my analogy it's actually this guy's analogy edwin abbott who lived in the 1800s a mathematician theologian they came up with this book uh it's classified categorized as science fiction although it could be more precisely called mathematical fiction sounds like a great read doesn't it <laughs> Anyways, uh, it does to me, uh, but he kind of stole it from. Uh, I don't know, know that uh, that guy gets the credit. Maybe Plato should get the credit uh, because it seems a lot like his analogy or allegory of the cave. If you ever had to read that in a English lit class, like I did, or maybe a philosophy class, um, and, and the analogy goes something like this. And so it, it's not the analogy of the cave, but the Flatlanders' analogy. And so we'll we'll go to the whiteboard now. And so hopefully technology will work and there'll be a whiteboard up there um sweet so far so good and and we have this uh three excuse me two dimensional world i know technology huh it's like yeah so we've we've moved into the world of where a projector can be a whiteboard or something i don't know how it works either um but this world, let's just imagine this two-dimensional world, where two dimensions just being length and height. Three dimensions, of course, would be depth. Like we live in a three-dimensional world. We can go up, down, or sideways, uh, or uh, cross sideways uh, on a plane. Our, our plane is three-dimensional. Whereas these people would just be living in uh, a two-dimensional world, just hanging out. I don't know if that came out very good on the screen up there. Yeah, good enough. So the, let's just call them Mario and Luigi. Uh, do you remember the old... I know most of you are probably not old enough to remember, like, the first Nintendo that came out. Uh, anybody? And the the Super Mario Brothers. You know how it goes, right? Can't get that high today. Lost an hour of sleep last night. Um, <clears throat> But anyways, Mario and Luigi live in a two-dimensional world. They can go up, they can jump, they can go down pipes, but they can just go right, left, up, or down, uh, or kind of like in, in between, but they can't like, come out of the screen um, like some 3D video games these days when you're like, walking around blowing up people and opening doors and cutting off heads and stuff like that. That's, that's three-dimensional. That's crazy talk. Um, the, the real video game is the two-dimensional game. Anybody else agree with me? All right, sweet. All right, some old school gamers. Anyways, so this is Mario and Luigi living in a two-dimensional world. And and so if a three-dimensional object was to enter their two-dimensional world, you know, all they would be seeing is each other and, and 2D. And so me being in 3D, if I wanted to like stick my hand through the screen so that they would see it, how would they see it? Well, since they can't see it coming, since they're not three dimensional, they would just see what appears two dimensionally. And so like if I stuck my hand through, starting with my fingers, they would see uh, the five fingers. One, two, three, four, five fingers enter into their world. And and then as as my hand kept going through, it would end up as an arm going through. And so that's like my arm. All they would see is a big circle. They would see five little circles are or, or circles showing up at different times because my fingers are different lengths. And as I entered in my arm into their world, then they would just see uh, a one big circle and they would be like, dude, what was that? And say, you know, one of them was to be like, dude, I saw one circle, then another, and then one, two, three, five, I saw five circles, and then those five just kind of like merged into one big circle. That was weird, huh? And like, Yeah, that was very weird. And if one of them was like, you know, uh, maybe that they were all connected. And the other person's Mario or whatever is like, dude, they're not all connected. They were, you know, there was a circle, then another circle. There's five circles. And then it opened up into one big circle. And, th- and the other person's like, no, I feel or I sense that, that there was another dimension. And the other one's like, what? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Um, but I sense that maybe that was a hand. And the and the other one would be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And the person trying to explain it would talk about maybe their feelings or or senses that that somehow the, there's another dimension. I, I felt you know like maybe that was the hand of the one that created us coming through the screen. Is maybe how. They would talk about it, and and that's that's this this analogy. And there's lots of problems, of course, uh, ph- philosophically, with this analogy. Analogies are just simple ways of exp- explaining things. But that's maybe how they would see the world around them, and they would just talk about presences and uh, senses and feelings of another dimension. And so, if I got like very close to them, uh, almost touching them, or or, or blue on them. Uh, I don't know that they would feel it, but maybe they would sense it in their two-dimensional world and they'd be like, dude, did you feel that? Uh, And the other one would be like, yeah, what was that? That's just weird. And they would talk about... It's maybe in the in the terms of sensing and feeling and and maybe having faith that oh maybe there's another dimension out there maybe there's more there has to be more than than just the world that we see and the world that we can observe there seems like I feel like there is more and as we look at the book of Acts and, and in this world of of being t- two dimensional and The book of Acts talks about how the Roman Empire was around at the time, and the Roman Empire, maybe all their world was... was... In this this two dimensional world of uh, the king and the kingdom is the Roman Empire and there's the might is right and the the Roman Emperor Caesar is God. There was another person who came into this world of the Roman Empire. So we'll go back to uh, the PowerPoint and, and we'll we'll see Jesus here. Jesus being this other. Person, This person outside of, as we as Christians would say, he was from another dimension, of course, in this analogy only. Um, he was from another dimension and came to our world and said, what you see and, and what you're in is, is, is one way, but I'm here to tell you that there's another way. And Jesus talked about the kingdom coming to earth and he said some very weird things like Jesus and Luke chapter 17 same author by the way as the book of Acts Jesus says the kingdom uh, of God is not something that can be observed nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst and so then we like man that's weird that's a weird statement as, as as some of us were thinking oh the kingdom of god will be uh like heaven and and we imagine puppies and um golden things and golden roads and it's like well jesus is saying that the kingdom of god is here and don't he says don't go looking for it because it's actually in your midst and and going back to the analogy of the two dimensional world it's like Maybe it's another dimension that's all around you and you just can't tell, but it's there and it's in your midst. And and so the book of Acts, one one theologian, his name is N.T. Wright. I'm a big fan of him. He taught a series on the the book of Acts and he called it the heaven on earth show. Kind of sounds very circus like, um, like the greatest show on earth kind of thing, but he referred to it as the heaven on earth show that when the kingdom comes and and Jesus said the kingdom of God is here it's at hand it's now it's in your midst don't go looking for it don't say here it is or there it is because it's here it's right now and so the kingdom of God is this thing that that when the kingdom comes things are set right when the kingdom comes you know the world is saying that might is right and you know you know kill your enemies but Jesus says Bless your enemies, Jesus says. Those that are suffering are, are the ones that will inherit the the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. the the, the Those that are they are suffering will be blessed. And it's like that's so interesting. That's so weird that he would say it that way. That the kingdom is already. And so we read the book of Acts and we see things like a cripple begging for money outside the temple. And the if the kingdom of God really is here, uh, th- then maybe Peter and John in Acts chapter three, which is what happens, say money. We don't have, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And so this crippled man stands up. It's like, wow, that's what the kingdom is like. Crippled people will be made well. Or you, you get to Acts 5, and there's these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, that kind of cheat the church and cheat money out of the church and brag about giving more than they have. And then, well, if the kingdom really is here, then the wrongs will be made right. And, and that's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. They're punished for, for their wrongdoings. Or uh, you look at Acts chapter 20, when the, Paul is preaching, and there's this guy sitting on the windowsill on a third story and he falls asleep and falls out of the window and dies, Paul goes outside and says, don't worry, he's alive. And, and then he, he's alive. And that's the kind of thing that happens in the kingdom of heaven. It's much closer to us than, than what we can imagine because it's hard for us to we always, at least in my head, I'm, I'm guilty of imagining some place far, far away. That's oh, there's puppies and 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 rainbows and nice stuff in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says it's here, it's now. Um, and and so going back to that classroom, the the story I started off with of pretty much a crazy teacher, um, (laughs) teaching about the kingdom. And I was about to raise my hand and say, what is the kingdom of God? Um, I did, I I raised my hand. I I worded it probably better than what in the world is the kingdom of God. But I was pretty much asking that question. And instead of the teacher saying, where have you been all this semester as I've been talking about the kingdom of God, instead he looks at me and points to me and says, This is probably one of the best questions that have been asked all year. Thank you for asking such a wonderful question. And I just felt like, yes. And my friends were like, man, why didn't I ask the question? But I got the credit for asking such a great question, which to me, I thought I was going to get rebuked for not paying attention or anything. But he said, that, that is the question. That is this great question. What is the kingdom of God? And then he started talking in like weird things. He was like, the the answer is shockingly simple. And yet the answer is simply shocking. And I was like, what does that mean? And he quoted some of the passages of Jesus and said, oh, the kingdom is in our midst. Don't ask where it is. You know, the kingdom of God is like this. And he told a parable, like Jesus told a parable. And then he said a phrase that a theologian uh, said uh, a few years back. His name is George E. Ladd, George Eldon Ladd. And, And George Eldon Ladd wrote this whole theology about the kingdom of God in which he is known for saying the phrase, the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. And, and that it takes a minute to kind of wrap your mind around that statement, already but not yet. Um, and if, you, if you're writing notes down, I think that would be the, the, the thing that you could write down and think about later, that the kingdom is already but not yet. Because it's it's, yes, the kingdom is here. Jesus proclaimed it. He said, don't go looking for it. It's in our midst. It's here. And when the kingdom of God is here, then things are made right, and things are made according to the way that God maybe intended them to be. But we all know that our world is not right. We all know that there is evil in the world, and, and bad things happen. And I, mean, I just think about the, the news and the, the earthquake that happened to Tokyo uh, and the rest of Japan. And and I think that that's not right. That's not you know that's suffering and disaster. And and yet the kingdom is here. How how does that work? Well, the kingdom is here, but not fully. It's it's already here, but not yet. There's still more to come. It's it is here, but not in its total fullness. And so that's why maybe Jesus tells parables of what the kingdom of God is like and how there's another dimension, you know, going back to that analogy that the kingdom of God is here and it's so close um and, and yet not fully yet. And so as we continue to study the book of Acts, I think we'll begin to see this picture that that Acts in some ways points back to us as readers of the book of Acts and and and, and taunts us to, to be a part of the story. Maybe taunting isn't the right word, but engages us or invites us to be a part of the story that, that yes, the Holy Spirit has come and the church was established in Acts chapter two. And, and it, and it kept going like we today here as a part of the mill Sunday school are a part of the church. We are a part of the kingdom. And so it's with that idea that, that we're going to close now in in prayer and and this expectation that next time in the mill Sunday school, we'll talk about the Holy spirit and how it came and how the birth of the church happened. So let's pray to close God. We do thank you for the book of acts and analogies that help us. uh, God, we, we, open up our hearts, our minds to you, and, and tell you that we, we want truth. We don't want things that are made up. We don't, we don't want false arguments. But what we do truly seek is the truth. So, God, in, in empower us, enlighten us with your, with your truth. And we worship you this morning. We do praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. If you're here on time, a quick drawing. If your name's in the hat, I'll pick three names. One, two, three. Alright, these three people get a book. Uh, Lexi Hits uh, <laughs> Jonathan Duan and Whitney Cronenberger. Get books. Everybody else, peace out, you're dismissed. Thank you. Welcome.